This is Coffee at KYUK, conversation between friends and neighbors. Come in and have a cup. Joining us for coffee this morning are GCI Rural Fiber Program Manager Rebecca Markley and Jennifer Nelson, GCI's Rural Affairs Director. They're here to talk with KYUK's Evan Erickson about the extensive broadband cable network the company is installing. Talk a little bit about the status of the iHook network, which has just entered a new phase of development. I believe you've just entered phase three of the project, whichever of you wants to chime in there about where we are in this project. Sure. Um, Just want to be clear um, about the phase three that we're talking about, because we've had uh, phase one, phase two, and phase three. And so phase three of the project will continue to deliver the two and a half gig residential internet speeds, unlimited data, and urban pricing to now we're up to 13 Western Alaska, Yukon, Kuskokwim Delta communities. So we've added some more communities to the network. How would you describe phase one and two? What was the timeline and what was accomplished in those phases? There's work happening with all three of the phases, and Rebecca could probably jump in. So IHOOK one is phase one, obviously phase one, and that one's going to be delivering between Bethel, Platinum, Eek, Napaskiak, and Oscarville. We're in the permitting phase and getting everything prepared for execution this coming summer. So we're trying to get, finalize our permitting, trying to get all the materials ordered, um, trying to finalize the fiber route, the marine fiber route or with the contractor, and getting that all prepared for um, construction to start in the May timeframe. Let's cut IHUC 1. IHUC 2, we're doing the permitting with that one as well at the same time. So its permitting will actually be um, completed in May same time that IHUC-1 will, and we are working on obviously the same thing, building the shelters, preparing the tundra lay fiber, and getting all of the other materials ready for it to be deployed. That employment of the tundra and also the tundra portion of IHUC will be done during the winter timeframes just because it's much easier to get across the tundra when it's frozen. Both of those will be taking care of the winter you want to say, of 2024. So whenever it gets frozen out there, enough for the vehicles to track. Because I don't want to say a particular date because the weather changes. And so then IHUC 3, it will be connecting into Platinum, and it will go up the coast and finalize in Emonic. So we'll be starting that. Probably the summer timeframe when we're actually building IHUC 1 and 2, we'll start the permitting for IHUC 3. Is there anything that GCI can say about the um, the timeline for all three phases going online? So IHUC Phase 1, we're on track to have that completed by 2026. IHUC 2, where we're going to be um, towards the end of 26. And then IHUC 3, it's going to probably take a little bit longer to get permitting. The end of 27 is what we're looking at to get these done. Very aggressive. Um, so weather is always an issue. If we have to do work in the winter time, and when I say winter, I mean like solid ground has to be super frozen, especially if there's deep water that we have to get across, it does make a difference. The average listener in, in Bethel or one of the tundra villages like Kasigluk, who's going to be part of this, the IHUC network, if you could give them a big picture of what a now 900-mile fiber optic network is going to look like, 
I imagine people are wondering, where is the Internet originating to be served to us? It is connecting to our existing network out of Dillingham. So it doesn't just start in Dillingham. It connects to an existing fiber network. And then GCI owns and operates two subsea fiber cables that connect Alaska to the lower 48 around Vancouver. So there are two main lines that power the entire state. And then giving people an idea of what that looks like when you take fiber optic, comes out of the sea, up onto land, and goes in, you know, inland waterways onto the tundra. What is the, the legwork that has to take place to lay the actual cable? So when it comes in out of the marine environment, we have a enclosure. We call it a beach manhole. It's a big concrete enclosure that sits flush with the ground, so it's buried so that you don't have to worry about um, anybody tripping over it or running into it. We'll put the cable in there, and then we'll usually bury it going up to the the cable landing station inside the community. When it goes across the tundra, just depending on the location, we will either try to surface lay it or we'll do some um, shallow burrowing it in the tundra. But by laying it on top when the ground thaws, it'll just sink in there. We've done this numerous times, and it's a smaller thickness of cable, but it still has armor covering on it. So then it'll just sink. And then there's areas that are closer to the communities where we'll actually bury it down quite a few feet into the ground so that well, we don't have to worry about anybody tripping around it. But And then inside the communities, just depending on the community itself, we will either bury the cable or we'll put it up on the existing pole lines that are there. Are there initiatives in place for those who can't afford those prices in, in rural communities where some people still find that it's not affordable? The prices will be exactly the same as they are here in Anchorage, so the same speeds, pricing, the same plans. Kind of a tricky question. So there currently is a program called the Affordable Connectivity Program that is offered through the FCC, which provides a benefit for qualifying households to receive a discount on their service. However, it is a government-funded program. There needs to be more money put towards that program If it stays on its current path, it will likely sunset this spring. So we're working to continue to advocate for programs like that that do help it make the Internet more affordable. But we're unsure of that one right now. Communities that aren't directly connected to the fiber optic networks, is their connectivity strengthened at all by other communities being part of this fiber optic network? Yes. So we have a microwave network out there right now. And as we put some of those communities, as we drop them onto fiber, which is really their main connectivity, there will be more bandwidth available for those communities that are still going to be on the microwave. And then as we keep on going up, you know, adding more and more communities onto the fiber, depending on where they are on that microwave network, they'll be able to drop off the microwave network a little bit sooner before it gets back to Bethel because That's where our connectivity is. All of those communities come into Bethel, and and then they go back to the Anchorage. And so now they'll be able to jump off like in Emonic, some of the northern communities, once we built um, Emonic out instead of having to be routed back to Bethel. So, yes, they will have more capacity available for their services, each of the communities that will be on microwave and not on fiber. So when you string an, an extra 455 miles or so, according to the press release up to Emonic, then those lower Yukon communities, does that potentially strengthen their connectivity? Right now, everybody who's on that microwave network is basically drinking out of the same pipe. And so you start removing communities that are drinking out of that pipe. There's just more. 
in conversations I had with Heather Handyside at GCI this summer, it sounded like the subsea cable scouring event in the Beaufort Sea ended up having a lot of people were drinking off that pipe. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, Western exactly. Alaska. It was like a, it was a little slower. <laughs> and that's exactly it. It's the, the traffic on the highway increased or, you know, the water pipe analogy, which whatever one we want to use. But, yeah, all that traffic that was offloaded onto that fiber cable folded back into that microwave system. So it was yep. um, congested with a lot of users. If low Earth orbit satellites and Starlink are the thing of the future, then what is the point of putting in these hardwired networks when that technology is, you know, advancing in leaps and bounds or something? And could you clarify maybe, is there an importance of having more than one option? Um, those satellites have a five to seven year lifespan. So they're having to put more of those up into the sky at a faster rate, at a higher cost. Um, when you look at the the lifespan of a fiber optic network, it has a 35-plus year time frame before it needs an upgrade. And when I'm talking about an upgrade, we're not having to replace the fiber. We just need to improve the electronics or equipment. Um, but once the, that fiber infrastructure is in, it really doesn't need to be touched. Are these fiber optic networks affecting people's phone network plans or just their broadband connections? Initially, it is broadband. You're going to see improvements on the broadband network with the two and a half gigs of speed, urban plans and pricing. But what the fiber cable also does is provide that unlimited capacity to allow us to upgrade our wireless networks. Well, that's my limited understanding. The holy grail of these information networks seems to be, communications networks rather, seems to be achieving what's called ring redundancy. Yes. Is that something that will be achieved with IHUC alone, or does, do you need further fiber optic network expansion to achieve that ring? And what is that ring anyways? When a network is ringed, it means that if there is a break on one side, they can reroute the traffic and nobody's going to lose connectivity. What we need to do, um, just like the Quintillion break, is Quintillion, if they were had been connected to somebody else or extended their network back to, um, let, let's say, Anchorage or the lower 48 and stuff, it would have been ringed. So we are. We are trying to ring our network, and obviously um, it takes more funding and, and keep on going. So Emonic is going farther north. We are trying to find a way to ring it, um, which could it, could it be in the, the YK region or if we go farther north um, to ring it um, to hook up into um, another portion of our microwave network. Not really sure, but um, it just ringing the network as it's the it's the ultimate thing to do in any of ours. Just like our microwave is ringed um, throughout the state, so if there's a break in any section, we can reroute it. Um, north, south, east, or west, depending on where it, it where it breaks, we can reroute it. Um, where the fiber, we're not quite there yet. So it sounds like it's not determined if you were going to ring between the western part of the state and the northern reaches, whether it would go subsea or whether it might go overland. That's not been figured out yet. To nope. I, I will say, though, that there are systems in place and plans in place and having – um, redundancy and fail failovers built into our network, we have those. So if something were to happen, we have our ringed microwave network. We have 
those systems built. And what we saw with the quintillion break, all of our traffic failed over to either microwave or satellite. So even though the experience um, got a little slower, the people didn't lose connectivity altogether. So um, yes. we, we designed these, even though it might not be a perfect ring right now, but there are systems in place for um, redundancy and resiliency when it comes to building these networks. Obviously, the elephant in the room is that a lot of people did seek out Starlink during the crisis in the summer and things. Um, do you, is most of the people that will be connected into the fiber optic, is it mostly like individual private customers? We will we will be delivering to every building in the community, so as long as we get permissions. So everyone will have access to the fiber, whether it's residential or business. Um, they will have They will be connected. Being uh, two people who have been immersed in it, is there anything I didn't cover that you feel like it would be um, something listeners need to know about the project? And it's just super exciting to be able to be building, um, you know, to this massive infrastructure project that is going to be a generational solution to connectivity. It's really um, going to be uh, there for the long run. Um, it's not a short-term solution. We're getting it done really quick. And um, it's going to be transformational. Anything from the, uh, the other party here? No, um, <laughs> she said exactly what I, you know, wanted was going to say and stuff. Is is this? It is going to be transformational. And you know, we GCI already has technicians out in those communities supporting our current infrastructure, and they're going to be there to, to um, be able to support this infrastructure as well. So we're pretty excited the fact that we already have a workforce in place, and we have and we have workforce training going on to hire people as needed um, to support this. So um, that's just exciting in itself that we get to train the locals there to be able to be a part of this. I really appreciate you filling me in. It's been chock full of information. That's KYUK's Evan Erickson speaking with GCI's Rural Fiber Program Manager, Rebecca Markley, and the company's Rural Affairs Director, Jennifer Nelson. This is Coffee at KYUK.